Hi, welcome to the second uh, episode in the podcasts on the Homeric world, and this uh, is one on life in the Mycenaean age. We're going to talk through the whole list of things which you can see in the topic overview on page 165 of your textbook. We're going to start with palaces, we're going to talk about hunting, uh, war basically, we're going to talk about chariots, clothes, trade, um, and linear B. Um, if you didn't know what all of those were um, in relation to my senior, don't worry, we will um, go through this in detail. But I'm delighted to say not only have I got Mr Watkins with me today, but we've also got uh, one of our uh, lower sixth who sat this uh, exam last year. Um, and that uh, is our Greek scholar, Daisy. Say hi, Daisy. Hi, um, I'm in year 12, so I did the GCSE last year. So I'm just going to be talking about what bits I found difficult and how I could help you in revision and which parts to especially look out for. Fantastic. So uh, let's start with the palaces then. Um, and one of the key things about the, the palaces in the ancient world, we have talked a little bit about it when we're talking about the site of Mycenae, um, but that is um, the, the Megaron. So uh, just to reiterate what we said last chapter, you can spot the Megaron because it's got a big circular hearth in the middle. A hearth is a stone circle where fires were lit. It's the fireplace. There would have been a hole in the roof above for the smoke to escape. And there would have been four columns around the hearth holding the roof up. There's evidence that other rooms came off the Megaron and that they were for documents, religious shrines, uh, places for storing or making pottery. Uh, somewhere for pressing olives into making olive oil, um, somewhere to store your weapons and armour, and armoury, and we know about that from uh, the Odyssey, the big battle at the end, and storerooms for food. The point of a Megaron, it's where the king's throne would have been, it would have been a symbol of power high up in the centre of the city, um, and it would also have been a place for feasts and poetry recital. And that's really all we need to know about Megarons. So the next uh, of those topics was hunting. Um, and I know, Daisy, one of the things that you said uh, that you really found helpful when revising was thinking about the visual sources. Um, there's a really, really key um, visual source um, that helps us with hunting, isn't there? Yeah, so the lion hunt dagger shows us lots about the ancient world. So what I found useful was printing off a photo of the dagger. Then what you can do is draw arrows to what it tells you. So we can see the different types of shields. So we have the figure of eight shields as well as the rectangular mm -hmm. shields. And also it shows the lions. So the lions are obviously quite important to the Mycenaeans as we see in the lion gate as well. And it could also be a symbol of power as defeating a lion would be a massive feat because of how strong they are. And it's also important to remember that this um, dagger wasn't actually used to attack people because of its size and it uses inlay technique. Yeah. Great. So, so I think that is a, a really valuable thing to, uh, to remember. If you were going to be talking about uh, the usefulness of things um, or you're going to be talking about uh, how ornamental things are, how decorative thing, uh, things are, you might be looking at a dagger thinking, well, hey, it's going to be useful. But as Daisy quite rightly says, the actual details of this dagger mean it's useful for showing us a beautiful uh, depiction of a hunting scene, but perhaps less useful in terms of actually having been uh, used as a, 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 as a dagger. Um, it's, a, it's a decorative object, really. Now, hunting was really important to the Mycenaeans because the, the land that they lived on was very hilly um, and wasn't particularly useful for farmland. So anything that was flat was used for growing crops. And then if they wanted to get their hands on meat, typically that was done, for, done by hunting. 
Um, obviously, hunting lions was a status symbol, uh, which showed your bravery, but actually they could be hunting various other animals. So evidence for hunting lions is obviously on the lion hunt dagger, but then there's evidence for hunting, um, hunting deer, uh, which we can see on a signet ring. Um, and then there's um, other methods. So, so obviously they're, they're hunting with shields and with spears on the line hunt dagger. But we can also see that bow and arrow is used. Um, uh, bow and arrow is also used on the signet ring. And if you look at, there's a fresco from Tyrins, which gives us examples of people using dogs for hunting. And um, that's pretty much all we need to know about hunting. But it does tell us, I think, that just as an example, um, that when we're answering questions in an exam, we're not just thinking about what was it like in Mycenae. You also need to be able to say, how do we know? Mm. Um, and so therefore, uh, when you're doing, for example, an eight mark question, um, they'll give you, let's say, a picture of a hunting scene. And you need to pick out what can it tell us not just what do you already know happened with hunting and that's very often where people lose marks on uh, eight mark questions mm -hmm. is not focusing enough on looking at the actual picture that you've got in front of you and saying what can you get from that um in terms of exam technique an eight mark question will often say uh, with reference to the sources given and your own your wider reading your own knowledge um the mark scheme will clearly say that you're not going to get more than half marks if you don't refer to the source there or if you don't bring in your own information. So make sure at some point you say, from source X, Y, or Z, I can see and then clearly refer to the source material before you then go on and bring in the other things you know. As a really good example of that when we get to talking about armour and weapons and war, which is the next topic, um, because we've got a couple of different sources uh, I want to focus on. Um, one is the Boar's Tusk Helmet. You can find that on page 168 if you've got your textbook in front of you. The other one is the Warrior Vase on page 169. And those are two very different types of source because one of them, the Boar's Tusk Helmet, is something that would probably have been used and therefore, or possibly decorative, that looked like something that had been used, um, but we then have to work out why that was used as it was. We have to kind of read between the lines about what it did for the person who wore it. Whereas the vase is actually a depiction of some people who are about to fight a war or coming back from war. And therefore, we can actually see more about what the person who painted it is trying to tell us. One is kind of communication, really, with um, us as uh, the people finding it, um, whereas the, um, the, the, the helmet is more a case of it was just kind of made for a particular purpose. So when we talk about armours and weaponry, um, if you look at pages 168 uh, up to page 170, there's a lot of content there which talks about the evolution of these, uh, the, their equipment over time. We mentioned earlier the figure of eight um, shield, which is visible on the lion hunt dagger, and that's evidence of an early Minoan style shield. We then can also see the large tower shield on there, and Homer also describes that himself, which is a later evolution of shield. By the time we get to the warrior vase, which you can see on page 169, which is one of your prescribed sources, these soldiers are carrying a much smaller shield. It's on their back, which is suggesting they're making a long journey. We've also got spears over their shoulders with knapsacks tied to them, all indicating they're off on a long march. But the key thing I'm talking about now is that the shield has got a lot smaller and we can see therefore the evolution of shields throughout this long Mycenaean period. Now we can look at the helmets. Homer describes um, Odysseus wearing a small leather cap 
covered with felt, and then boar's tusks are sewn onto it. Um, we know that Odysseus himself hunted boar because of the injury, the scar he gains on his leg. Um, if we look at page 168, you can see the boar's tusk helmet. It's an impressive piece of kit. Um, these are the teeth of the boar, and it would have taken um, up to 10 boards simply to make that helmet. Obviously, ivory, which is effectively what animal teeth is called, is a very light and strong material, so it's a great one to use. Um, but it's also a very early type of helmet. By the time we get to the warrior vase, however, the helmets have clearly evolved. Now, if, if you were to turn the warrior vase around, which the textbook doesn't do, but if you get on that there, Google, you can do it yourself, um, we can see a different style of armour. The soldiers are carrying shorter spears and they've got spiky helmets, often called hedgehog helmets. So we can see the full evolution of helmets. Um, I mentioned earlier the boar's tusk helmet. This was found in Dendra. And there is an amazing, uh, arguably the earliest suit of armour in all of Europe found in Dendra. It's called the Dendra Panoply. And it's a great piece if you, if you can look it up online. Um, it shows these preposterous um, chest plates which lead up to a neck guard, which seems to go right over the chin, almost up to the nose. Uh, really usefully on a podcast, I'm putting my hand over my mouth to describe that, which probably wasn't the clearest thing to do. Um, it looks absurd, like it couldn't have actually been used by soldiers. Um, however, um, there is evidence on in in the writing, the linear B writing, showing and the word for armour shows a doodle. And again, I was about to draw on a bit of paper, not so useful on a podcast, which shows a, a, a picture of armour coming right really high up at the neck. Um, the next thing to mention in terms of warfare is how did they travel around in terms of battle? So over to you, Mr. Keane, to talk about chariots. So there's some great uh, fresco with beautiful colours, but also really nicely depicted chariots. Uh, you can see on page 171 or just uh, search for Tyrin's chariot fresco. Um, it's in the National Archaeological Museum in Athens, uh, which doesn't fit onto all um, trips to Athens in terms of the itinerary, but it really ought to, particularly if you're doing GCSE class because it's an amazing place with lots of fantastic things in. Um, and the chariot is definitely uh, one of the um, aspects used, um, one of the uh, modes of transport used in war. Chariots are not just for war, though. Um, they're also for chasing prey. Um, if you want to see a bit of evidence that we know that definitely happened, that's on the signet ring, uh, which you've already mentioned, but it's on the left-hand side of page 170. Um, clearly, the chariots were, were used for just transporting people around as well. Um, we know that they were used uh, in funeral contests. Um, we know uh, all of these things, again, because of evidence such as um, the two-wheel box chariot um, that can be seen on a stair lair. Uh, I'll come back to stair lie um, when we come back to grave circles. Um, but if you want to have a quick peek now, um, it's there at the top right-hand side of page 191. Um, and it's not quite so easy to, to pick out as on a fresco because um, it's all sort of one colour because it's a, it's a grave marker. It's a stair layer, stone stair layer, uh, rather than having the beautiful, colourful paint. Um, but it really gives you a sense of one of the different um, aspects of, of the use of 
chariots. Um, there's some fantastic um, pieces of evidence and it's good to have something like this with lots of different pieces of evidence. Another really good piece of evidence uh, in terms of telling us about the Mycenaean world is the Linear B tablets. So Linear B was uh, the language that was used at the time for writing down. Uh, we don't have great literature from this written in this period, which is why we actually use Homer in the uh, second half of this module, who was actually writing much later or composing much later. Um, but we do have these tablets, though they're, they're made of clay, and they're made of clay because clay was abundant, it was cheap, it was dug out of the ground, it's malleable, so you can carve into it what you want to write. And then typically it was just left out into the hot sun of, of Mycenae um, to dry and, and harden. Typically then it would only have lasted a short period of time, long enough to uh, evidence what they had to write down. Um, but, and but hang, on, have... hang on, Mr. Walker, I'm going to inter interrupt you there because that doesn't make sense because we've still got one of them now. So, so how's that uh, survived then? Well, luckily for us, lots of people burnt down in a big fire. Ah, that's good. Yeah, less lucky for them. But uh, what happened was by, by, by burning the whole city down, um, it made the city act like a kiln which baked these tablets into hard pottery style clay. Um, so they've lasted to the modern age, which is very lucky for us. Now, there are two types of writing. We have uh, ideograms where a single picture represents uh, an object, a word or an item. And then we have these syllables where the words are broken down with individual images representing a syllable. If you want to get more into the writing itself, have a look on pages 175 and 176, and you can see examples of these different words, and you can have a go at spelling out your name or, or set, finding the elements that made up words like tripod. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what can we learn and what can't we learn from these tablets? There's various things we can learn. We can learn about um, the hierarchy of the society at the time. And we get three interesting words that crop up. We have wanax. Mr. Keane, what's a wanax? A wanax um, is the chieftain or king at the top of each society. Um, and so we talked about palaces and, and uh, megara, the sort of the megaron in a city. That would have been where your wanax uh, lived. This comes into ancient Greek as anax because um, after the Mycenaean period, they stopped using the letter W. Um, we've got it back these days, but um, the wanax was kind of the lord. And uh, another word we learned about in the society was a lawagetas. Yeah, the lawagetas is the official who's kind of like a sort of second in command. Uh, you've got to imagine the wanax as being a bit like Boris Johnson. Then the lawagetas, I guess, is Dominic Cummings, the one who kind of gets everything happening. Um, basically, uh, sort of possibly a military figure. It's almost like um, a general. Like, like a sort of general. And then finally, we have a group of people known as the uh, hecatai. Yeah, the Hecatai um, were uh, basically a noble class, um, sort of a group of kind of aristocratic kind of landowners. Um, may maybe they owned slaves. Um, there's not a huge amount of detail we know about them, but we know that they were the uh, sort of larger numbers um, of important people, not in charge of the city, um, not in charge of the society, but uh, followers, um, kind of the, also probably um, involved in, um, in warfare as well. Great. Um, so these are just three of the words that we can find on uh, various Linear B tablets. Other words we can pick out are words for wheel chariot, uh, chariot frame or chariot, which gives us more evidence of the importance and the use of those to the Mycenaean people. Um, we also learn a little bit about animals. 
So hus- animal husbandry, we get the words for deer, horse, stallion, mare, ewe, ram, nanny goat, billy goat, sow, boar, cow, bull. Um, after that, we look at sort of words from farming or produce, items grown or produced by the Mycenaeans. We have wheat, barley, olive oil, spice, oil, wine. Um, later on, we can look at items or materials used in manufacture and the products that they would have manufactured themselves. So bronze, gold, wool, horn, cloth, garment, and armour. Now, um, when we're talking about cloths and garments, it's an opportunity to talk very briefly about clothing. Clothing was um, very important to the Mycenaeans because without it, they would have been naked. We don't have much evidence at all for clothing because obviously natural materials don't survive well over thousands of years. Uh, We can learn a little bit about clothing from reading Homer. We can learn um, a little bit about it from looking at the Linear B tablets. We can learn a lot more about it by looking at frescoes. And there's a very nice fresco on page 172, and this is one of your prescribed sources. It's called the Mycenaean Lady Holding a Necklace fresco, and it depicts a Mycenaean lady holding a necklace. And from this, we can learn the colours that were used in clothing, the detail, the drapery, um, and items like that. The examiner expects you to be able to discuss the colours, yellows, reds, blues, and purples, and how they're obtained. Onion skin and saffron to make yellow, insect eggs and a plant called madder to make red, another plant called indigo to make blue, and a shellfish uh, ink to make purple. And we can conclude that blues and purples were symbols of higher class citizens in their clothing because these materials were harder to obtain to make the dyes. But back to our linear B tablets. So we've learned about various things. We can also learn about um, warfare because on linear B tablets we have the words for spear, spear, arrow, sword, helmet. Um, And then finally, we have some words which are relevant to uh, religion. So um, we've got a couple of words in particular, which are really interesting. um, If you remember your myth and religion uh, section of your exam, Um, and that is um, that the Mycenaeans, it seems, um, had female versions of um, a couple of the gods. So they have someone called Posidaya and we have someone called Diwaya. Um, And it's thought that they were female versions of Poseidon um, and Zeus, which gives a little bit of an insight into what the uh, Mycenaean religion must have been like. Pretty much connected to the later Greek religion, but with some significant differences. So that's really interesting. Um, There are limitations to the Linear B tablets, though. What were the limitations to these tablets in terms of what they tell us? Well, it's not really a literary writing system. We don't have history or or narrative contained in it. Ultimately, what it gives us is lists of items owned and items owed. So it's basically an example of uh, evidence for trade in the Mycenaean age. Um, Which brings us on to our next point about trade. So trade was very important in Greece and especially because Greece did not have their own supply of mineral resources, as the book says. There were many issues with trade, however, because the roads were a very unreliable source. They needed carts and horses, however, there were bandits, and also the roads were not well made, so it was very risky. So what the Mycenaeans did use for trade was the ocean. They used boats, and this was normally by rowers. They would go across the oceans 
and they did not have any money system they did not have a money system so they would barter which means to trade resources so although the sea was more efficient there were still risks involved they had to travel a very long distance in ships that weren't they weren't very well made as we have today and there were also the risks of pirates as there and a specific example of a shipwreck is the Ulaburan wreck and we're told that in around 1375 BC Mycenaean ships sunk off the coast of southwest Turkey and this shows us a lot about trade as we have found 10 tons of copper, one ton of tin and this would have been used to make bronze and we're told that copper came from Syria, Cyprus, Sardinia and Attica and this gives us a sense of just how large the trade links were in Mycenae in Greece. Also there were 150 jars which were um, from the, the Middle East and many of these were filled with resin or olives and some were even filled with glass beads so once again if they were amber beads these could have been from Denmark or even as far as Northern Europe so this just emphasises how important the trade links are and how large they were. One little exciting thing uh, just to finish off with on this is uh, that uh, if they're getting tin, there is a possibility that the tin might have come from Cornwall. So uh, for people in the UK listening to this, uh, it's a link between the Mycenaean world and our sort of, uh, you know, our history in terms of... A possible link. It's a possible link. There are other places you can get tin from. It's just one possible. Great. Thank you, uh, everyone. Especially thanks uh, to Daisy. That's the end of uh, our chapter two of this podcast uh, on the Homeric world. Um, And number three, um, we're going to move on to um, talking about decorative Decorative arts. arts.